Welcome to Thinking Ahead, your leading edge insights podcast. Each episode reveals the latest insights on today's consumers and offers a sneak peek of tomorrow's marketplace. Stop guessing what's next and start thinking ahead. Welcome back to another episode of Thinking Ahead, your Leading Edge Insights podcast. Today's episode is very exciting. We're talking all things technology, and we're joined by Veronica Chen from Consumer Life. Welcome. Hi, Anna. So glad to be here. Today, we're talking about our latest Living with Technology report, which explores how consumer tech sentiment, usage, and adoption have shifted and continue to evolve amid major disruption. So we'll look at the digital lifestyle, the Internet of Things, and just overall consumer tech sentiment. So let's get started. Today's consumers are fully immersed in tech. We can live, work, and we even play online. And the pandemic really amplified that notion. So does this mean that consumers are feeling positive about where technology is headed? What are they thinking? <laughs> That's a great question, Anna. The answer is no. Um, as you said, you know, we are becoming more and more dependent on technology and we do see the benefits of technology. But we also have become more cognizant about the side effects of technology. And that actually has made us more apprehensive about the future of technology. In the U.S., we at Consumer Life, we have been tracking whether Americans feel optimistic, pessimistic, or uncertain about various aspects of the society. Now, ranging from, you know, the quality of life in the nation to the institution of marriage and family. Today, the effect of technology on the society remains the number one area of optimism for American people. And it has been a top source of optimism since we started measuring it in the late 90s. That makes sense, right? You know, technology by nature is a force driving innovation and growth. And, you know, it makes sense that people feel hopeful about the future of technology. But what's really telling is that the share of Americans feeling optimistic about the effect of technology actually saw a long substantial decline over the years. From nearly two thirds of the adult population in 2008, shortly after uh, the first iPhone was introduced, to a little over half in 2018, to now just, uh, you know, about 46%. On the other hand, the number of people feeling pessimistic about the prospect of technology actually doubled over the past 15 years to nearly one third of the population. So, on the one hand, uh, Americans today feel, you know, still feel more hopeful about the future of technology than many other areas of the society. However, tech positivity has plummeted and skepticism soared as we become more aware of the risk of technology, be it cyberbullying or tech addiction. And as we have learned, the risks and rewards of technology will only be amplified and multiplied, right, with the rise of generative AI. Unless you live under a rock, you probably have read headlines about the amazing promise of AI, but perhaps even more often, the massive risks associated with AI since the, the introduction of ChatGTP um, Chat in, in late 2022. And that perhaps has also contributed to people's growing apprehension towards the prospect of technology, even though consumers changing perception, you know, really started much earlier. So it sounds like, you know, consumers are feeling less positive about technology and where it's headed. So 
What seems to be the number one concern for consumers surrounding tech today? Yeah, um, so information security is the most top of mind. We have been tracking in the U.S. people's concerns about different downfalls of technology. Now, fraudulent use of personal information has consistently been the number one concern for American consumers, really across most key demographic groups, followed by the spread of fake news and privacy concerns. So information security and accuracy is really paramount. And this is really important for marketers across sectors to be mindful about as companies um, really compete to leverage user information to personalize offerings and outreach. Younger people are more worried about the impact of technology on mental health. In fact, the impact of technology Technology on mental health is the number one tech concern among Gen Z on the list of 12 concerns that we track. And as we know, Gen Z is the first two digital native generation, right, who grew up on social media, on smartphones, definitely very much immersed in technology. And it's also the generation struggling the most with mental health issues. And there has been a lot of studies linking overdose of technology with the spike of anxiety and depression among young people and Gen Z themselves seem to be making that connection as well. And I touched upon the rise of AI earlier. Now, data shows that consumers across the globe have become more nervous about the future of AI. However, compared to you know other more tangible issues that people have more experience with, like information security and the spread of fake news, the future of AI as a concept is a little bit down on that list of tech concerns that we track. Of course, as we know, AI can very well exacerbate many of people's top of mind tech concerns. AI powered disinformation and misinformation is a particularly heightened risk this year, as about half of the global population has to the post to really participate in the, the biggest election year globally in history. So already the World Economic Forum has identified AI-driven disinformation and misinformation as the number one global risk for the next couple of years. So, you know, I think consumers across different generations are becoming more and more aware of the downsides of technology, Mm -hmm. you know, so are they learning to grow less dependent on certain tech? Yeah. I'll say that concerns about, you know, tech addiction and privacy are having kind of an impact on behavior. You may have heard that, you know, dumb phones, feature phones are making a comeback, right? As members of Gen Z try to limit their screen time on smartphones, some still keep their smartphones, but, you know, are taking an old fashioned flip phone with them when going out with friends to be more in the moment. And on TikTok, one of the trending terms is monk mode. And this has nothing to do with, you know, religious beliefs. It's really about turning off social media notifications to improve focus and productivity. And we also see in our data that about one third of consumers across the globe you know, change their social media behaviors because of privacy concerns. So, you know, people are making some adjustments, you know, take better control of their tech usage. So I need to adopt monk mode immediately. Um, (laughs) Me too. (laughs) But I wanted to shift the conversation a little bit now to talk about the digital lifestyle. You know, like we mentioned earlier, COVID really showed us the immediate impact of technology and how it enabled us to work and communicate with others and all of that. But what is the long-term impact of COVID on the digital lifestyle? 
Yeah, so first of all, COVID has accelerated the democratization of technology by bringing new users to the digital lifestyle. For instance, many older consumers finally pulled the trigger to upgrade from feature phones to smartphones during the pandemic. So they were able to participate in video calls, uh, virtual get-togethers with their friends and families. In fact, smartphone penetration among pre-boomers in the U.S. jumped by a whopping 30 percentage points from just about half of the population in 2019 to 80% by summer 2021, so a massive increase. COVID has also introduced existing digital users to new services and use occasions. Uh, many of us perfected our video conferencing skills, right? Made our first telehealth visits, first online food delivery orders during the pandemic. We may not be using these services quite as often as we did during lockdowns, but perhaps more than we would if the pandemic didn't happen. But the most important long-term impact of COVID, I think, is really the rise of remote and hybrid work. Well, many of us have returned to the office at least a couple of days a week. Hybrid and remote work is now a lot more commonplace than it was at the beginning of 2020. Our data shows that globally about half of those employed still work from home at least sometimes. And this definitely has a lot of implications on where and how people shop, consume, and interact with products and services. So that's a really important thing you just mentioned, you know, how we shop online. You know, today we can purchase something in an instant where instance where it could be using Face ID, you know, our mobile wallet. So does that mean that we're headed towards a total online system for shopping and finances? Are we headed towards a total online system for shopping? My answer would be no for that. Uh, you know, I'm a former believer that brick and mortar stores are here to stay. You know, people appreciate being able to go to a store uh, to take a close look at the products they want to buy, um, touch and feel the product, and perhaps even, you know, try it on depending on the category. Um, many people, myself included, also just enjoy walking around the store and looking at what's new and interesting. In fact, our data has captured a surge in appreciation for brick and mortar stores over the past few years, really led by younger people who realized during COVID, you know, how much they missed a store shopping as a leisure activity and the social experience. So I don't think e-commerce will ever kill brick and mortar stores, but perhaps rather redefine the role of stores to be more experience centers versus just points of transaction. Now, if you ask me whether you know we're headed towards a total online system for financial services and transactions, my answer would be a lot more positive. Uh, really, the foundation is already there, right, for our mobile wallets to replace our physical ones. It's pretty fascinating that consumers across the globe now are more likely to bring with them their smartphones when leaving house, uh, leaving the house than, you know, ID, physical wallets, plastic cards, or even their keys. And the truth is that, you know, smartphones today can pack in digital forms everything you need in a wallet and even beyond, right? Your payment methods, your ID, transit cards, coupons, tickets, even car and house keys. 
if you happen to have a smart lock and a connected car. Now, smart locks and connected cars uh, are still relatively nascent, but mobile payments have taken off. The pandemic was again a catalyst. Many of us shunned cash and relied on contactless payments options, payment options, right, including mobile wallets during COVID to minimize potential exposure to the virus. And we continue to use mobile wallets post-COVID. So the pandemic definitely has moved us a little bit closer to the cashless society. So Veronica, you did touch a little bit on like these smart solutions that we have at the tip of our fingers. And I wanted to talk more about that and just IoT, you know, in relation to this report. What is the current state of wearable adoption? Yeah, so globally, smartwatches, um, Bluetooth earbuds uh, and headphones are among the fastest growing uh, tech products in recent years. Uh, Over four in 10 global consumers now use Bluetooth earbuds and headphones, compared with about one third in early 2020, and nearly three in 10 use smartwatches. On the other hand, you know, fitness trackers have actually declined after penetration peaked in 2019. In fact, smartwatches have well surpassed fitness bands in popularity. Of course, you know, smartwatches are more multifunctional, but also tend to be more expensive than fitness bands. And the rise of smartwatches at the expense of fitness bands, I think is real, really a testament that people are more focused on value than price, even during financially volatile times. So one thing that may be surprising to some people is that emerging markets are winning the race in wearable adoption. India, in particular, has emerged as a top market for wearables, thanks to the rise of local players that have flooded the market with a super affordable, high value options for India's young mobile and, uh, you know, more tech enthusiastic consumers. Bolt is a top player in the market. The Bolt Wave Elevate smartwatch introduced last fall, for instance, is an Apple Watch look like and sports some of the same features, but it was selling at uh, a fraction of the cost of $24. And that's not even the, the least expensive option on the market. The average price of smartwatches in India actually slid to, you know, just about above $20 last fall. Okay, so I know where to go shopping for my smartwatches now. I know. Um, On a similar note, smart home solutions also seem like a real advantage for consumers. So is there a lot, you know, are consumers embracing smart home technologies? Yeah, smart home is a pretty complex category encompassing a variety a variety of products. The most embraced by far is smart TV. Globally, nearly half consumers used a smart TV in the past months, and other smart home products are nearly as popular with penetration ranging from about a quarter for smart assistant speakers like Amazon Echo and Google Home to about 15% for robotic cleaners to you know less than 1 in 10 for smart blinds and shades. China is now the leading market for smart home adoption, again, thanks to abundance of affordable options from local players. And affordability is important to win over customers. Our data shows that cost is by far the number one barrier for smart home adoption across the globe. And in most markets, it's followed by apathy, you know, not seeing the need for smart home gadgets. 
And if you take those two, it seems that, you know, um, the, the category has a bit of a, a value proposition issue, right? We can argue that smart TVs are popular because they offer tangible, relatable benefits, right? The ability to access the vast amount of content on the large screen through paid and free online video streaming platforms. But for, you know, some of the other smart home categories, the benefits just aren't as obvious or, you know, compelling enough to justify the price premium that these products often command. And we can argue that, you know, convincing value and potential benefits are particularly important now that many, you know, uh, smart home products are trying to move beyond early adopters to reach early majority and mass market consumers who tend to be a lot more practical in their purchase decisions than early adopters. Now, one category kind of uh, grappling with expanding the use base and engagement is the, the smart speaker sector. And this is a category that had a lot of success for a few years. Sales got another lift during the pandemic. It was really the, the darling of the smart home industry, if you will. But sales has slowed and adoption kind of plateaued over the past couple of years uh, in some of the more mature markets. And now part of the reason is that most people who wanted a virtual speaker, virtual assistant speaker, have got one, right? And the rest just don't find these speakers useful enough to buy. Even among existing users, an engagement, engagement seemed to have peaked. A lack of new compelling features and use cases means that, you know, many, many users are using smart speakers for the same functions that they have been using for years, playing music, you know, checking the weather and perhaps turning on the off lights. And they are not motivated enough to upgrade. And that can be an issue for manufacturers. In fact, our data shows that in the U.S., arguably most mature smart speaker market, Buying intent for these speakers is the lowest among all the smart home products that we measure. And engagement is an even bigger issue for smart appliances. Now, one thing not often talked about when it comes to, to smart home products is that adoption doesn't always warrant engagement with smart features. Many people may not realize that most of the higher end major appliances on the market today are actually smart. According to LG, 80 to 90% of appliances that the brand is selling in the United States are smart. However, less than half sold stay connected as co at customers' homes. Why? You know, because, you know, consumers don't quite see the benefits of smart home features offered. I actually have a smart refrigerator that is capable of texting us uh, when the refrigerator door is left open. Is that useful? I guess maybe once in a very long while, but you know, so far every time I accidentally left my refrigerator door open, I was able to figure that out right there in the kitchen. I didn't need a notification on my phone. And the main reason that we, we kept our refrigerator connected is the remote diagnostic capability. Um, but thankfully, you know, we haven't had a chance to to really use that after the purchase three years ago. And that's a good thing. So it's not to say that, you know, connectivity doesn't matter for home products, but rather, you know, companies in some of the smart home categories have some work to do to build stronger use cases to drive growth and engagement. I think this episode, you know, does a really good job of uncovering key insights around consumer sentiment with technology and, you know, 
all the different ways that consumers are leveraging it. So I kind of want to wrap all of it up into some pieces of information that marketers today can take away with them and have key considerations for their brand. So Veronica, as we think ahead, what does the future look like for smart products? Sure. Uh, well, I think um, the answer is kind of easy. The future of technology will be transformed by AI. Generative AI promises to make smart products smarter and more useful, addressing that value proposition issue that we just discussed. Earlier, we talked about virtual assistant speakers kind of struggling now with expanding appeal and engagement in mature markets, right? Part of the reason is that uh, the first wave of virtual assistants that live in these speakers, Amazon Alexa, Google Assistant, and Apple Siri, they are not very smart, right? They are kind of dumb. They only respond when you use the right command. They often don't understand simple questions. They can't really hold a conversation. And all these can be resolved with the integration of generative AI. And tech companies, Amazon, Google, Apple, Samsung are all on it. And we can probably also count on AI assistants to not only answer questions in the future, but also uh, you know, really get things done for us. One gadget that generated a lot of interest and buzz at CES this year is Rabbit R1. It is a palm-sized device uh, featuring AI agent that uses uh, what the company calls a large action model to really go beyond understanding user intentions and providing information to performing more complex tasks on the user's behalf, like you know, booking an entire trip for you including flight and hotel, and creating an itinerary that fits your preferences. And in the smart home appliances category, AI is also helping kind of shape a new wave of products. For instance, the newly released or introduced Samsung 2024 bespoke refrigerator features a AI vision inside to identify, I believe, 33 types of food being inserted or taken out of the refrigerator and can recommend what to cook based on you know, what's on the shelf and the user's diet preference. You can also uh, go ahead. Now, I was going to say the future is looking bright, then it's going to make a lot of things easier. <laughs> yeah, so features like this definitely make us more hopeful about the future. Of course, a lot still depends on the execution, right? How well the refrigerator is able to correctly identify food, and how much you enjoy the recipes recommended. Uh, but yeah, if well executed, some of the features being introduced now can definitely improve our lives. We at Consumer Life, we have been talking for nearly a decade about smart home products needing to move beyond being quote-unquote smart or connected to being intelligent and really useful to win over mainstream consumers. Now, with the development in AI, that future is definitely more within reach. So as we round out this episode, how should brands start thinking about their consumers and their relationship with technology? I think it's important for companies to recognize and acknowledge people's mixed feelings and paradoxical 
approach towards technology. We increasingly rely upon technology. We see the benefits of technology, but we have also become more concerned about the risk of technology. And as people become more clear-eyed about the pros and cons of technology, I think we can probably expect them to be less weighed by novelty and the wow factor and more motivated by practical solutions. And consumers will also, I think, be more demanding of ethical practices that really prioritize humanity, you know, the security, interest, and well-being of end users. So some of the questions marketers may want to ask themselves include, you know, are you reassuring uh, consumers that you're doing everything you can to safeguard their personal information? Can you help them better manage their digital life and unplug as needed? Are you demonstrating that your digital solutions are designed with the guardrails to optimize benefits and minimize risks? And last but not least, I think it's important to not lose sight that as brands and retailers increasingly leverage AI to automate customer experience, consumers still appreciate a human element, perhaps now more than ever. Well, I want to thank you, Veronica, for joining us today. You know, we went over a lot of great insights. All of this can be found in the Living with Technology report that looks at both global and U.S. data. So definitely take a look. We'll have those links available for you. But I can't wait to talk to you next time, Veronica, as we keep this conversation going. Great. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been fun. Thank you, Anna. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Thinking Ahead. For more information on today's topic, you can click the link in the description. And please make sure to leave us a rating and review. Let us know what you like about the show. And of course, if you haven't done so already, hit that subscribe button to keep up to date with the latest insights. We'll see you next time so that you can keep thinking ahead.